You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14. Whether you are an HR manager of a global company seeking to transfer key employees to Canada, a foreign student searching for ways to remain permanently, or a Canadian citizen wishing to sponsor a spouse living abroad, the Canadian immigration process can be one of the most complex and frustrating things you will ever have to experience. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is going to depart slightly from the traditional type of podcast that I've done. And uh, normally I will get an immigration lawyer or immigration consultant on to join me. But because of a need that I've identified, uh, in particular with those who are foreign skilled workers looking to immigrate to Canada, I knew I just had to get this guest on. And just as a little bit of a lead-in, I do a fair amount of work with Express Entry. So I do, uh, I've got a massive Facebook group that I've told you guys about in the last episode that has crossed over 80,000 members now. And uh, so I learn a ton about the challenges that people go through when they're trying to go through the Express Entry process. And probably number one on the list is getting their English language high enough. And notwithstanding their best efforts, and understand, like many of you already know, these folks are professionals by and large. They've got, you know, master's degrees, PhDs, they're, uh, they're professionals, doctors, they're, they're accountants, and they're highly educated people, but yet they struggle getting the high level of English language that they need in order to maximize their comprehensive ranking system points. And those of you who are familiar with Express Entry... This is the way that Canada administers our economic immigration programs for for foreign skilled workers. Now, obviously, we have uh, Canadian um, uh, foreign workers here who qualify through the Canadian experience class. But by and large, most of the people are, are outside of Canada and they're looking to be able to immigrate directly in. Some have job offers, some don't. But regardless, English language is everything. And so the difference between... Um, one band level uh, can, can mean the difference between qualifying for, for an invitation to apply and not. And so these people agonize over this and they study and they do everything that they can. They get all of the resource materials. They buy all of the IELTS books. They practice. They learn their vocabulary. They get their thesauruses out and memorize synonyms and all of these things to try and improve their likelihood of reaching that magical CLB 9, the Canadian Language Benchmark Level 9. And yet, um, so many of them, despite repeated attempts, three, four times, and not being able to meet the minimum threshold, they, they just can't do it. 
And so this has been something that has been on my mind for a long time. And I see so many companies out there here, buy our book. You know, we're located in Shandigar and we will teach you how to speak English. And the person posting the, you know, the notification within our Facebook group can't even write English properly. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, these people are relying on them. And then folks, then I discovered someone here in my beautiful province of Alberta, located up in Edmonton by the name of Chris Enders. And Chris is the founder of the Canadian Mosaic English School and Services. And he has, as you'll learn as we get him on here, a ton of experience in this area. And he basically explodes all of these common thought processes and just chucks them out the window as to all of these previous strategies that people have been following, trying to uh, get the success they need within the IELTS exams. And so I was fortunate enough to get Chris to join me on this podcast, and he has officially become the Canadian Immigration Podcast sanctioned English language instructor. So uh, without further ado, let's jump to that interview with Chris Enders. All right, I am here with Chris Enders, uh, who is the founder of the Canadian Mosaic English Language School and Services located in Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome, Chris. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is a little bit of a departure for the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Um, Chris, as a uh, as an instructor, an English language uh, stru- instructor, um, usually we talk specifically about Canadian immigration. But because of this whole world of express entry and the fact that probably 30% of the comments on uh, my Facebook group, and I think some of you are aware of this express entry law Facebook group that I have, um, I've got about 80,000 people in there now, and I'd say almost 30% of them are people complaining about not scoring high enough in their IELTS tests and 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 stressing over their writing and speaking and everything. And I, I knew that I needed to connect with someone that that understood this world. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to get this Chris as I was introduced through Chris, uh, through, through the podcast, uh, through our uh, Facebook group to Chris, I, I realized, you know what, this is the guy that I need to, um, to start pointing people to. So I thought, what better way to introduce Chris to the Canadian Immigration Podcast world, as well as to our Facebook group, uh, was through an interview and to get him on to talk about uh, what he does and, and how he got into this gig. So uh, yeah, we're, I'm really, really happy to have you join us, Chris. Yeah, again, I'm really happy to be here, Mark. Um, I've been spending a little time on your Facebook group. And indeed, I see that uh, there are a lot of people who have the same problems as I deal with 100 times every day. And so I've got quite a bit of advice to offer people. Fantastic. Well, why don't I just start off by giving our listeners just a little bit of background on you. So Uh, Chris has indicated that as a former IELTS examiner, so you were on the other side actually marking these these assessments. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Mark. Um, After I graduated university, I actually went to Moncton, New Brunswick, and I was a supply teacher or substitute teacher there for six months until I could build up an airfare, and I bought a ticket, and I headed off to China. While I was in China teaching university, I got into IELTS examining along the way, and it turned out to be a really interesting job. And so there is a huge demand for it in China. From what I understand, it's more than a five billion American dollar 
industry per year just in China, the IELTS training and uh, testing and things. And so it was pretty exciting. That's that's absolutely insane. That they, and it doesn't surprise me in all honesty. And, uh, and so it's great to have you on. And, and Chris has indicated that, you know, he's conducted over 3,000 speaking tests and hundreds of writing tests that are now under his belt. Um, he's been a full-time, as he indicated, a full-time ESL instructor for 15 years. And, uh, and he holds um, CELTA. What is that? Uh, you, you've indicated here a uh, TESOL Level 4 certification from Cambridge University. But what does CELTA stand for? CELTA stands for the Certification in English Language Teaching for Adults. Oh. It's um, the specifically the ESL portion or the English as a Second Language portion of an education master's degree from Cambridge University. And it's the requirement that Cambridge wants for IELTS examiners or for the minimum requirement for an IELTS examiner. And it's the modern task-based method for language instruction. And so it's actually a really, really excellent program focusing on teaching for immigrants and for professionals. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So the standard is really high. So this isn't just someone who, you know, takes a six month evening course and, and, and they're good to go. Uh, this is, you know, there's, there's a quite a high standard that you have to achieve in order to even meet the threshold to be eligible to be an, an IELTS examiner. Yes, um, a master's certification. Mm -hmm. So Chris has also indicated here that uh, that he's worked in some of the top schools, such as the Asia Australia Business College and in Edmonton, um, uh, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, which is one of our uh, um, very well-respected institutions up in Edmonton. And uh, he's also participated within the LINK program, which is the language instruction for newcomers to Canada. So I think all of our listeners can see that this is right in Chris's wheelhouse. Um, he's trained executives and staff from companies such as BMW, Lexington Hotel, and the People's Insurance Company of China, as well as a number of different professionals, doctors, nurses, and several, several Chinese hospitals. And that leads us, Chris, now to, uh, to your school, the Canadian Mosaic English Language School and Services in Edmonton. So how did you get, you've indicated a little bit that you started, you taught enough as a substitute teacher to get your airfare to then head on over um, to Asia. But why? What, what was the motivation? And how did this all lead into you actually deciding to, to focus your professional career um, on English language instruction? Well, I'm not sure that there was really a plan for that, Mark. But uh, in by the middle of my university education, I had a serious case of the wanderlust, and I really wanted to get out and to see the world. And so I thought to myself, where is a place that I could go that would be the most different from <laughs> small town Alberta? And so big city China struck me as the place to go. Heck and when yeah. I got there, I found out that the whole world was there too. It is really the crossroads of the world when you go there. And I met people from all over every single continent wow. and um, <clears throat> got to teach, as you mentioned, people from all different walks of life. And it was a really amazing experience for me. I ended up staying for 12 years. <laughs> and then I married a local girl in Shenyang, China. And when we were ready to have kids, we decided that we would come back here because, as you know, life here is great for children. And so we came back here and my second child was born. 
And I decided that uh, I'd rather stay home and try my luck working from home so I could spend more time with my kids. And so I opened up my own language school about a year ago. I started training kids here in Edmonton, mostly native English speaking kids and teaching them in language arts, um, academic writing and reading. And just through, I guess, experience, I ended up moving online. And now I've got uh, kids that come to my school in the evenings and the weekends. And during the days, I'm online teaching people all around the world from different places on Zoom which is an excellent program if you are if you need um, online conferencing and things. So it's been actually a really interesting ride for me. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. You know, I have a cousin who I can't remember if she completed a degree in microbiology or something like that. And you talk about Wonderlust. She she realized, you know what, I I need to do something different. So she went to South Korea, and I know that she's been there. Oh my goodness. You know, it could very well be 12, 13 years. And she teaches English. She loves it. She, you know, she, and, and this is, you know, we're, I'm a farm kid and, and she grew up on a farm too, raising sheep and participating in that whole life. And, and she decided she was going to do something different. And oh man, yeah, it's, it's amazing how you, you get into it and you just, uh, you just fall in love with it. And uh, she comes back periodically, but, but not too often. She is, really, really enjoyed herself. So it's not surprising that you uh, ended up sticking around and, and uh, really establishing yourself professionally there. And it's really neat to then have the opportunity to come back to Canada and apply all of those things that you learned um, working and, and living internationally, because it's really a different perspective, which I'm positive that it probably helps to, uh, you know, to uh, support and accentuate and, you know, uh, add extra value to, to the way you work with uh, clients online and connecting with people all over the world just because of your background. So that is, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, 15 years ago, Mark, Edmonton was quite a different place than it is today. Um, when I, since I've come back, I was really surprised that I hear languages from all over the world spoken on the street in Edmonton and people from everywhere. It's really become an international city in the last 15 years or so. And it's a great place for an English teacher like me now. I've, there's lots of people here looking for English training. And so it's actually worked out very well. That's awesome. I know when I think about um, just how the province of Alberta has changed, you know, when I started practicing law back in 2002, 2003, um, doing immigration at that stage, oh yeah, Alberta was definitely redneck. Like we were, there was very, very few, uh, any visible, minor, visible minorities in any way. Um, we, uh, you know, we were the wild, wild west. And, and what I think what happened and, and some of the transformations occurred when, we had our provincial boom. And uh, when companies started to bring in workers from all over the world uh, to fill labor shortages, and I was heavily involved with that. And over time, you know, these, these, you know, the, the whole province has become far more cosmopolitan than it ever was before, which is just, it just adds to the, um, it just adds to the province and, and uh, it just makes it a wonderful place to live. So yeah, I'll, I'll agree the the landscape has definitely shifted, you know, from 15 years ago. So yeah, which is really cool. 
And that leads us actually, Chris, into this, this um, intersection of immigration and, and language. And we've kind of hinted at it a little bit, but some of our listeners may not be fully aware how important language is to individuals who are seeking to immigrate to Canada. In the past, it was important. And, you know, in many respects, people had to demonstrate that they had a certain level of English language ability in all of the four abilities, writing, speaking, reading, and listening. But with the, with the creation of the Express Entry Program now, it is the single most important indicator of, of being able to qualify for permanent residence in Canada. And if foreign candidates do not have a very high level, we're talking um, a CLB level seven, a Canadian language benchmark level seven across all of the abilities. And this isn't an average. This is, you know, your writing has to be at that CLB seven. That's just the minimum requirement. And individuals who say are a little bit older, they start to lose, you know, that Canada's created this ranking system where it ranks candidates against each other um, and the top individuals who, who have the highest comprehensive ranking scores are then given an invitation to apply for permanent residence. And with language, if you have, uh, you know, the base, the very base to get through the door is a CLB level seven. But if you don't have a job offer in Canada, if your age is higher, then it becomes even more important to have high scores. And in fact, to really maximize your, your point threshold, you really need to have a CLB level nine, which for many, many candidates, um, it's almost impossible to get, especially the writing. And so um, obviously one of the purposes behind this podcast was to bring Chris on and really tap into his knowledge and experience and get him to share some of these essential tips and strategies. And in fact, we, we approached it, I, you know, from the standpoint of this podcast, we've isolated five general areas and we're going to work through them where people commonly make mistakes within the IELTS assessment process. So if you're one of those individuals or you have clients, because many immigration lawyers and consultants listen to this podcast who are struggling with their language, you need to make sure that they listen to this podcast and once they've listened to it, realize that Chris is the guy that's going to be able to help them. And we'll provide Chris's contact information at the end of the podcast, as well as within the show notes. So, Chris, the starting point, a student's perception of what the test actually is. You've listed that as the number one general area. So what are you getting at? What is, what is this notion of, of a student's perception if it's not correct that it can actually hinder their success on the exam. All right, so <clears throat> our perspective on things really, really affects how we approach them. And so if we think about a traditional sort of grammar school test where you memorize words and you have to write them down on the test and you get scored for your spelling and for how many words that you memorized or being able to categorize grammar into simple or complex or future or past or present. This is a really old way of language testing. And it's not what the IELTS test or CELPIP or CLB or TOEFL or anything like this is actually about anymore. What these tests that 
your clients are needing, Mark, are all about are about communicative proficiency. And that is how well you can use your speaking and reading and writing and listening, not about how many words that you know or about how many textbooks that you've read. And so you can think about it this way. Um, when I was in China, I always used a metaphor about Chinese Kung Fu. And so I can be someone who collects the clothes of Kung Fu and all the weapons, a sword and some nunchucks and everything else like that. But if I don't use them or if I don't practice using them, then I'm simply a collector. I'm not a Kung Fu practitioner or a, I'll never be able to become a master. A master, at it. yes. I'm just simply collecting. And it's exactly the same with people who are studying language and their words. If you're just memorizing words, then you're not able to use them. And you see this every day. I see this every day with people. They have amazing vocabularies. They've memorized 20,000 English words. Chinese people especially, they start with the dictionary on page A and they memorize the dictionary. Unfortunately, this is not a skill that's being tested for on IELTS. Um, to increase a skill, we need to be practicing. And so when you're practicing memorizing things, you're making your memory stronger, Mark. You're not making your English better. And so this is the biggest problem for everybody, to shift that perspective about the test from memorization to practice. It's better to have 10 words that you can use very well than to have 100 words that you, can, that you only use poorly. And so students need to shift from that idea of being a student to the idea of being an athlete. And the teacher is not a teacher. The teacher is a coach. And so the purpose of a coach is to watch that athlete and to make a training program for them. And then while that athlete is doing their training program, they are practicing their skills. And that coach understands their strengths and their weaknesses. And then they write the next exercise and the athlete practices the next exercise and they work on those weaknesses and they isolate them and they get through them. And in this way, the level gets raised. Another, um, <clears throat> another example would be a music student, a piano student. I can't read a book and get better at playing the piano. I need to sit there in front of the piano and practice playing, do my finger exercises to get more nimble and flexible, um, practice reading the music and being able to play at the same time. And so this is all that, that same perspective that students need to have to be successful on an IELTS test or a CLB or a TOEFL test. It's all about training and all about perfecting the skills through the step one, step two, step three, through following these steps and getting better and better at doing the steps of reading and writing and listening and speaking, this candidate can raise their level. And it's like you said, Mark, these levels are very high levels. You were mentioning the CLBs at a getting up to a band seven or a band eight in the CLBs. This is the equivalent of a six to a seven in the IELTS as well. And this is this is university entrance for a native English speaker. This is what they're supposed to be writing like. 
um, many of the students that I talk to, they're shooting for a band eight in IELTS or a band nine even. This is the level of a university graduate who is a native English speaker. And so it's a very, very high bar to pass. And it can't be done by memorizing. It has to be through training. I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris, because if you were to go down and search through the Express Entry Law Facebook page, which is the source of a lot of uh, you know, the, um, the, the questions that I get with respect to Express Entry, you'll see people asking, does anyone have um, some materials they could share on how to write better for the IELTS test? Or... You know, does anyone have any publications from, you know, different, uh, different uh, companies who produce test taking preparatory materials? And I think, you know, I think about what, what you're saying here. It doesn't matter, um, you know, where, where you are in the world, literally, if you do not have the ability to get feedback on what you're actually, how you're speaking, you know, for example, when... I think some people, uh, well, most of the listeners probably know now, I, I went to Portugal and served a mission for my church for two years. And, and I can remember that I did not actually start to really learn the language until I was stuck with a, a missionary companion that didn't speak English. And he just spoke Portuguese. And that five-month period that I spent with him, where we didn't talk English, we just spoke Portuguese, was absolutely invaluable in me getting a better grasp of the of the language and not just, you know, like you said, I, I, me- I was one of those guys who memorized the dictionary. I'd go and my qu- companion would quiz me on different words in Portuguese. And, and, uh, and so I, I went through and I did that, but it wasn't until I actually got to, to spend time with someone giving me feedback that my language actually improved. And so I can see already, and I'm sure you're going to get into it, individuals who are hiring you to help them are going to get that critical feedback in order to actually improve. Just like a, a pianist, just like an athlete, like you've identified. And and I think about all of these people overseas who their whole livelihoods are based on being able to increase their scores, you know, within the IELTS from, from a, a 5.5 to a 6 in writing so that they can meet the, the entrance requirement uh, for express entry. You know, what is that worth to someone? And so are you going to just pay, you know, $10 essentially for some book on the IELTS? Or are you going to invest in your future by engaging with someone like Chris? And this is my podcast, Chris. I can say whatever the freak I want, you know? <laughs> no one's saying, oh, Mark, you're just posturing and trying to get people to hire. Well, I can tell you that when I see the amount of heartache within the Express Entry Law Group, the number of people who've repeatedly wrote the test thinking that if they just have better resource material that they can read, or if someone um, can give them tips and strategies on, you know, expanding their vocabulary, that this is somehow going to be the, the answer. When I hear Chris, when I, when I first heard you talking about these strategies, this just, it, it, it totally opens the whole new world for me. And so I have no problems plugging the heck out of you and your company and what you're doing and, uh, and directing every single one of these listeners and, and every, you know, every one of those 80,000 Facebook group members to, 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 to engage with you. And um, you, know, you talk about this Zoom product as well that allows you to interact in, in, a, live, in a live form. Um, you know, there's nothing better than to have someone who can, uh, who can be there um, one-on-one or in a group setting, whatever's required, 
to give that immediate feedback and to, you know, to actually um, help people progress. And uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say here before we shift to our next point is um, uh, if I was, a, a, you know, someone who wanted to learn Portuguese and I was preparing, and I guess I should say that I spent two months in, in a missionary training center in Provo, Utah before I went. What I learned in that class, it was good. It gave me a little bit of a foundation. But when I got to Portugal, I didn't have a freaking clue where one word ended and another began. It was like one all mishmash of syllables. And I know that we're much further along with what you know people are going to be coming to see you about. But the reality is, who are you going to trust? Someone who doesn't even speak English as a first language, as your instructor, or someone who has lived and breathed it all their life and has the highest level of education in that particular discipline. And I have that discussion on the immigration side with these people. And, um, and so, yeah, another reason, uh, a Canadian-born English speaker who, is, who has been overseas, who has done this for the past 15 years, I got no problems plugging you. All practice right. makes perfect, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Perfect practice makes perfect quickly. Yeah, and, and the alternative is poor practice, yeah, gets you nowhere. And so even if you spend 20 hours practicing the same things that are just not, not effective, you're never going to improve. So exactly. That's, and that's like you said, that is exactly why people end up taking the test three or four or five times and getting the same score every time. It's like uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. Yes. Doing yep. the same thing over and over again and expecting, expecting different results. Different result, exactly. And you can see there's this conspiracy though, Chris. There's a conspiracy within our group that the IELTS is deliberately causing people to fail their written component so that they can build them more money. And it's this big global conspiracy, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I've seen so, that too. So we've seen that and people can understand. I've been, I know all the words. I can, you know, okay, all right, we beat that one to death. Now it's time to, to, to move on. So generally, change your perception, change your mindset. Treat this like a, a training program where you literally have to increase your mental capacity. All right, yep. let's dive. Imagine like you're a soldier in the army mm-hmm. and you're drilling. Yep. All right, let's jump to the second area of these top five common mistakes. Okay, this next one relates to writing. So tell me, biggest problems, what do you see here? Well, I, like you just mentioned before, Mark, um, the biggest problem is with material and bad advice for the writing test. Um, there's all of these IELTS training books, and some of them are super popular. Like in all of the world, 90% of the people are using the same few training materials. And, and, this and is, like I said, this is my podcast. So name them. Like, which are the ones that are the most common out there? Can you, can you name them off the top of your head, some of the groups and organizations that everybody says, oh, if you want to qualify, you absolutely have to use these materials? Yeah, well, I've, I'm not really comfortable naming <laughs> names or calling out colleagues, but um, what I would say is that uh, anything that has IELTS written on it, and it's giving you advice specifically for IELTS, is, uh, that should right there set off an alarm bell. Because IELTS itself is a measurement tool. Studying IELTS when you want to study English is like studying a ruler when you should be studying mathematics. And so throw away those IELTS textbooks 
anything, any of them that you've got, because the purpose of a textbook is not to teach English. The purpose of these textbooks is to sell the next textbook in the series. And every couple of years, they come out with the next edition. And all they've done is change the colors, change the pictures in it, and rearrange the chapters so that the new books can't be used alongside the old books. All it is is just a money-making mill. You were talking about IELTS as a conspiracy or the IELTS organization has this big conspiracy. It's not them that have the conspiracy. IELTS is a very professional organization. It's these textbook publishers that have the conspiracy. And the conspiracy is that they're in it to make money. They're not in it to teach quickly. If they teach you quickly, you're going to leave and you won't buy that next textbook and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. Okay, so, so, so what we'll do, Chris, is <clears throat> you and I will settle on the fact that these IELTS textbooks are less effective when it comes to preparing for the test. <laughs> yes. What students need if they're looking for a textbook is they just simply need a plain old English as a second language writing textbook or reading or listening textbook to practice these skills. They're not special skills for the IELTS test. IELTS is measuring academic English writing structure when we're referring to the IELTS, when we're referring to the writing test. And so it's a very simple thing. Even in our own language arts program in Canada for junior high school kids, this is what these kids are learning, how to write properly, how to make an introduction paragraph, how to write a body paragraph and a conclusion. This is nothing special for IELTS or for TOEFL. It is just the way that it's done. And it's the way that it's always been done. There are no tricks and there are no special um, schemes or plans for any of these tests. It's just simply being able to write clearly and plainly. But, but Chris, you know, I've seen reported in the Express Entry Law Facebook group that, you know, if you just master a whole bunch of different synonyms and your, your vocabulary is diverse and broad, that, that that's going to increase your score if you can show a command of different, you know, uh, you know uh, an expansive vocabulary to describe yourself. So, so, mm. so you're saying that's not quite the way it is. Oh, this is one of the reasons why my hair is going prematurely gray, Mark, from people who should be scoring a band eight in IELTS, but they're using synonyms and that brings their lexical score, their vocabulary scores back down to six again. For these highest levels of speaking and writing, it's all about the clarity of the writing. And so students, they write an essay, and at the end, they go back and they look through and they are going to replace the keywords with synonyms. But the problem is, is that synonyms are not 100% the same as the word that they're replacing. They're the same in certain contexts, uh -huh. but that one synonym adds 1% or 2% um, difference to the meaning of that student's writing. And when they've done it again, now they've got 4% discrepancy. And again, now they've got six. And so if they do this four or five times, that band eight that they got is now dropping down to a band seven. When they've done it five or six times, now they've dropped down to a band six. According to the IELTS band descriptors, a band six for the lexical resource score says uses less common uh, lexical items, but makes many mistakes. And so that student did have that band-aid, 
and then they've sabotaged themselves, or as we say, they've shot themselves in the foot. Holy cow! I by was actually, introducing these synonyms, that, that, and the thing is, is that they get their score on the IELTS test, but they never ever know why they got that band six. Yes. And so they go back and they study more vocabulary and they learn more synonyms and they make the same mistake again and again and again. Oh man, that is year that's after amazing. Year. So, okay, so back to the, the services you offer then. So you provide essentially feedback on their writing, practical feedback where they're actually told where they're making the mistakes. And I'm assuming that's a part of of the instruction that you give. They, you know, they have you you assess sample writing of of your your um, of your students and give them real feedback that they can actually use to to help them. Yeah, we do online lessons on Zoom. I've got my 1080p webcam pointed at my four meter long whiteboard. And we go through the steps of the writing process together and we map out how to do a IELTS band eight or band nine essay together. And then they send it to me for homework through email. And I print it off on my printer. I get my red pen and I mark every single mistake that those students have on there. And I give it a band score according to the IELTS public band descriptors. And I give them feedback and suggestions for how to improve it. Then I scan it on my computer, I email it back to them, they write their corrections and they send it back to me and we go through the process again. And in this way, these students, they learn what the mistakes are and they increase their levels and they do it in a way that is not frustrating. They're actually happy to do it because they see the, uh, the improvement in their writing every time they send it to me and they're actually, they really enjoy it and they're excited about their studying their English and they're looking forward to challenging that test again next time. That, and you're dead on right there. Confidence, right? So you give these people the confidence to know that they've now actually put in the work that, that has resulted in them being prepared to take it. And it's amazing listening to the feedback of some of, some of the, the, the people that were, you know, that were connected with and they're terrified. They're like, please, you know, say a prayer for me. I'm going in, you know, to write my test tomorrow for the third time. You know, oh got, yeah, I've Mark, got, you have no idea. Terrible. When I was a when I was a speaking test examiner, the first question on the test is always, "Can you tell me your full name, please?" Oh. And the responses I'd get were panic attacks, <gasps> or people would just outburst into tears, tears right there on the right there on the first question. And so if they're so nervous and so stressed out about something like yeah. this, then of course they're not going to be able to perform up to their full potential. Man, this, you, your analogy of an athlete training or a musician, you know, preparing is identical. It is so dead on, you know, that, yeah. that confidence in yourself, that belief in yourself that you're going to succeed, that mindset can, can make a whole band difference, difference or more when you're, when you're writing that exam. Hmm. That's uh, very neat. Yeah, it's the difference between buying a plane ticket and moving to the future or spending another year studying and taking the test again. Yeah, the same result. All right, so clearly we can see writing is not just a matter of memorizing words, expanding your vocabulary, and then making sure that you're using a variety of synonyms. There's an actual plan that you can put in place, a strategy and a, a system for 
for you know literally going through systematically and and responding in a very very strategic and purposeful way and uh okay so that's writing so let's let's address the speaking component okay what can you share on that uh, on that particular ability okay um like we were saying earlier, pointing out as a problem is that memorizing vocabulary instead of training is everyone's Achilles heel. Um, and so students have thousands of words. They've memorized grammar for years, especially in the express entry program where they're all professionals, yes. they're PhDs and things like this. And they've studied English all through university. They know all of the things they need to know. Their toolbox is full. What they don't have are is practice and the fluency. And so when we get students who are talking and uh, they uh, know all uh, the words, uh, but uh, it takes them five minutes to spit out a sentence, yeah. this kills them. This is, a this is what a band five in IELTS sounds like. A band seven or a band eight, which is what everybody is trying for, this is about flowing like a river. Being able to speak across a whole sentence with no stops. And in this way, I can start to, just like the bobbing up and down on a river, I start to stress the important words in my sentence. And it becomes much easier to understand what I'm saying. And then I can blend together all of the unimportant words. And so it brings out the clarity. And this is how students get to sound like a native English speaker. And again, it's not about memorization or learning grammar rules. It's about practicing speaking. Students need to close those textbooks and open their mouths and start practicing in that fluency. It's like riding a bicycle. I can learn all of the parts of the bicycle. I can have all of the books about bicycles, but if I don't get on that bike and practice riding it in a straight line, then I can't practice the turning and I can't practice the stopping and the starting and the going faster and the going slower and things. I have to be able to get on that bike and ride it in a straight line first. And that's exactly what every one of the people that are listening to this podcast and hoping for a band seven or a band eight in speaking needs to do. You mentioned something about this, you know, the speech must flow like a river. And the, the component, part two of the IELTS speaking um, section, actually requires the speaker to continuously speak for two minutes. Holy cow. Like, yeah, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think people appreciate, not, you know, the English speakers appreciate how difficult that is. You know, I, I could see someone just spinning in circles. You know, they're just kind of repeating the same thing over and over because they just get locked in and and struggling for, for, for words and trying to, to establish coherency. Wow. Even in someone's own language. Yes. Um, nobody speaks for two minutes. When you have a conversation with someone, rarely do we speak more than 30 seconds at a time. It's 10 seconds, 20 seconds at a time. The only ones who ever speak for a minute or two <laughs> minutes or three minutes at a time are teachers and politicians. Yes, yes. Maybe, maybe lawyers. Maybe I, some of us oh. long-winded <laughs> guys I'd throw in there. 
Yeah, but uh, practice makes perfect. And so if you're practicing reading books and practicing memorizing things, it's your memory that's getting stronger and stronger, not your English ability. You have to close those books and practice speaking. Write, it, write notes, just like a speech, point form notes. On the IELTS Part 2 test, they have one minute for preparation time. In this one minute, they need to be writing notes for a speech and then practicing right enough so that they can speak for three minutes or four minutes at a time and say it again and again and again and they get the ahs and the ums and the mm-mm-mms and they start to disappear and that speech moves from sounding like the shooting of a gun i am chris i teach english i live in edmonton to the flowing like a river. I'm Chris who teaches English and lives in Edmonton. Hmm. And again, the only way that this comes about is through practice. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> so we've covered general stuff about perception. <clears throat> the second area was writing. Third is speaking. Let's jump to, to reading. Okay. So um, students often go into the test thinking like they're going to read the test like they're reading a novel. And they're going to start out with page number one and word one, and they're going to read through that whole test. And at the end, they're going to answer questions. But this is absolutely the opposite way of, of what they need to be doing here. Um, you, especially your students in the express entry program. These are people all with high levels of university education and they know all about doing research. And so think about the university professor gives a research paper to do. The, the student finds the keywords in that research question and off to the library they go to collect their materials. And they get a big stack of books, sit it down on the table in the library, sit down there and dig into those books. But they don't start and read those books from cover to cover. They've got analytical research skills and they know where in the book that they need to go. They know which chapter, which paragraphs to read. And they're able to sort this information into what's useful and what's not useful and go through the books in this way, instead of reading everything and trying to figure out what it all means. And this is exactly what candidates on an IELTS test or a CLB test need to be doing. You find the keywords in the questions and then skim and scan for those keywords in the answers. An average reading test question is 2,000 words long. If, you start, if a student starts at the beginning and reads this whole thing and then goes on to answer the questions afterwards, they're never going to have an, they're never going to finish in time. The test is designed this way so that you can't get above a band five or a band six if you are simply employing reading and memory skills. The essential skills are these analytical research skills and being able to sort the information into useful and not useful information. And so, again, practice makes perfect. <laughs> step one, step two, step three about looking at the titles, understanding that general information ideas are going to be in introduction paragraphs and they're going to be in topic sentences that specific details are going to be somewhere in the middle of these paragraphs and they're going to be linked to the explanations of the points. 
And when I understand these things, now I can employ those research skills and I can seek in the text and I can find the names and the dates and I can understand and I can see the small differences between things that are going to help me get those band seven, band eight, band nine scores, where it's really about the fine details and the reading between the lines. And I'm going to be able to have enough time to spend and to get those answers correct. That's that's an, a fantastic uh, way of explaining this because, you know, it sounds a lot like my LSAT exam, the, the legal uh, the legal entrance exam. And it's the same thing. If you try to read through everything, it doesn't matter how intelligent you think you are. It is not designed for you to be able to get through everything and then be able to answer those questions, and, and unless you're some kind of super speed reader. But even then, speed readers are not often reading for, for comprehension. And so that, that makes perfect sense. And once again, we go back to the people, that, you know, the places that people are complaining and, boy, I just didn't have time. I ran out of time. And it all comes down to this strategy and, and, and uh, you know, that you employ. So, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense. Okay, tremendously insightful here, Chris. This is excellent. Okay, last piece of the puzzle, listening. Fill us in here. All right. And so you mentioned just now about candidates complaining about not having enough time. And again, on the listening test, this is the number one complaint for everyone. The speaking is too fast. I don't have enough time to think about the answer. I hear that keyword and it zips by and I have to continue listening. Or if I stop and I try to answer the question, I miss the next three questions in a row and I miss, I end up ruining my test scores. And so again, a change of perspective is what's needed. Listening is 50% at least about reading skills, those analytical reading skills. Candidates should be taking their 30 seconds or their one minute of pre-reading time before the audio test begins to be circling the keywords in the listening test questions. Now, there's two types of keywords. There's the keywords that are going to help you determine the right answer. But there are keywords like transition signals and signposts when the speaker changes that are alerting you to when you need to start reading or listening carefully. Remember, just like the reading test, sorting information into what I need to be paying attention to and what I can just skim and scan over. It's the same thing in the listening test. I find these transition signals, the discourse markers, and... For example, I answer question one. Now there's going to be 10 or 15 seconds before question two comes up. And so if I'm sitting trying to listen and understand every word that's happening between question one and two, this is not helpful for me. It's a waste of my time. And when question two comes along, I'm going to be in panic mode again because I don't have enough time to think. Um, I call it the leapfrog method, Mark, where... After I answer question one, I've got the transition signal from question two, and I'm listening for that transition signal. And while the tape is going blah, 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 I jump ahead to question two, and I analyze the question and the answers, and I choose what I think is going to be the correct answer. And then when I hear that transition signal, now I start listening closely. 
And when those keywords for the meaning come by, I'm ready to choose an answer. And then I can jump ahead to question three. And I'm only listening for a transition signal or listening for a change of a speaker. And I'm analyzing that next question. And so when I hear the transition signal, I start listening closely and I make my choice and I jump ahead again. And in this way, I give myself enough time to think about things clearly and I'm not panicked and I'm not going to lose my place because I've got my discourse markers and my transition signals mapped out on the page. And again, this is the skill that I need to be successful on the listening test. Hmm. Well, this has been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal, Chris. And uh, the insight that you've provided here, I have not heard anywhere else when it comes to how to score successfully on the IELTS test. And it's, it's very easy to see that you're, you are very well prepared to actually step in as that elite level coach to help people get through and get the results that they're looking for. And one thing I will identify to all of the listeners one thing that is very, very clear is that this is not a quick fix solution. So this isn't some uh, half an hour uh, kind of training session that's going to elevate you from a CLB 5 to a CLB 9. What Chris is talking about here is developing a plan that's at your pace that allows you to progress in a real meaningful way that will manifest itself on the test. And it requires work and effort, but very clearly what, what Chris has, has burned into my mind, at least, is that when you use him, he puts in place the right training plan to actually get you to, to, to develop the skills and to be competent enough and confident enough to go in and get the score that you're looking for. But it requires work. Absolutely. Um, my opening sentence for every one of my training programs is, I'm not a teacher and you are not a student. I am a coach and you are an athlete. And it's my job to come up with the training program and it's your job to do the training. To train and hard. together we increase your levels to the level that you need for success. Very cool. All right, sir. I know that after listening to this podcast, there are going to be people that absolutely want to reach out to you and figure out what all of this is about. What is the best way for them to reach you? I've got my school on Facebook, Mark. It's called Canadian Mosaic English Language School. I know that's a mouthful. Um, you can also find me by my name, Chris Enders, K-R-I-S. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel with over 30 hours of free lessons and tips and advice on it. It's called Chris Mosaic English School. And it's a really great place to go for people who want to do some training on their own or to be able to check out what my style is and how I can help them. As well, advice is always free and freely given. And so, no one needs to be shy about approaching me and asking questions either on my own Facebook group or my school page or on your page or your group. Sorry, Mark. I spend time on your group too, giving tips and advice to people. You bet. I've seen that. And, and you know, Chris, that's another one of the reasons why I wanted to um, associate myself with you and what you're doing. Because it's not all about 
lining our pockets with dollars, but it's genuinely trying to help people for the right reasons. And I've always found that when we are willing to give free advice and to to be generous, really generous with the knowledge and experience that we have, it always results in better returns from a financial perspective later down the road because people know we're genuine. And, uh, and so I'm super, super excited to, to, to pull you into our Express Entry Law world and, uh, and to share um, with all of, the, you know, all of the members there and on the uh, Canadian Immigration Institute uh, YouTube channel, um, just a, an amazing resource that I don't think enough people know about. Uh, so, uh, and also we, uh, I also want to let the listeners know about a, um, a special discount, uh, that we, that Chris has so graciously agreed to offer to, uh, anyone who has heard about him through the Canadian immigration podcast. And, uh, by letting him know and uh, that you came through this and by letting him know that the the secret code is Canadian Immigration Podcast, that will allow you to access a 10% discount on the uh, charges that, that Chris has for the various specialized services he offers. So remember that Canadian Immigration Podcast when you're reaching out to Chris and you can benefit from that uh, 10% discount. So thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to chatting with anybody who needs any help anytime at all. Excellent. Have a great day, my friend. You too, Mark. Take it easy. Yeah. Bye. I think many of you will agree with me that that was absolutely awesome. You know, it's clear to see that Chris understands his craft. As a former um, instructor, and actual examiner with IELTS, it's pretty clear that he understands how things work. And I find so many similarities between he and, and I. And, uh, you know, the experience that I had working on the borders and officer and, and downtown in Calgary, the hearings officers, really shaped my whole practice as an immigration lawyer. And in his situation, having worked as an actual um, uh, instructor, and I should say as, a, as an examiner with IELTS, has given him the insight to really add tremendous value to the services that he provides to just a wide variety of, uh, of, of people. And, and cl- you know, he doesn't call them students. They're his, his athletes in training, which is a phenomenal um, analogy. And uh, so I would encourage anyone to strongly, strongly contemplate referring a client who's struggling to Chris. And with his online platform and this Zoom uh, program that he uses, it's just like you're in the classroom with him. And, uh, you know, obviously, Canadian-born, English speaker, tremendously well-educated, and just does a real phenomenal job at creating strategies to help people uh, succeed. So enough of that. Remember, if you do want to use him, there's that 10% discount uh, if you are a listener of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. So make sure you let him know about that. Well, thank you everyone once again for joining me. Uh, this podcast was a little bit longer, but and it did depart from the norm, but I think it's quite fascinating. And for us of us you know, who have clients all over the world struggling with this language competency, um, I know Chris has got the ability to help them. So very cool. If you have a topic that you would like to uh, have us cover here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast, don't hesitate to send me an email to mholthy.com 
at stringham.ca. That's M-H-O-L-T-H-E at S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. And we'll be and I'll definitely consider it for future podcasts. If you would like to join me and you've got a topic that you want to share and you're passionate about, um, I would love to have you join me as well. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And I also want to thank this, just the many, many, many people who have so graciously expressed appreciation for what I'm trying to do here. And as I've said repeatedly in the past in other podcasts, some of my fellow colleagues out there just can't figure out what I'm doing and, you know, that I've got some kind of an ulterior motive to doing these podcasts. And, and yes, everybody wants their, their profile to go out there for sure. But the sole purpose and initial reason why I started all of this was to just give back. And as you can see from the speakers that come on here, we plug the heck out of them. And this is really a way that I can give back to a profession that has done so much for me. So thanks to all of my past guests, uh, to all of you future guests that are going to join me. It's you guys that makes this podcast so awesome. All right, don't forget to head over to iTunes and, uh, and give a, a review, a rating for the podcast because it helps it to be found by others that are just randomly searching. And um, other than that, uh, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to send you guys off with uh, that lovely little song at the end, which I, I had a, a couple down in the US do for me. And yeah, it's a little bit hokey, but I love listening to that thing. And I want to wish all of you guys all of the best as you navigate this crazy world of immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. Yeah.